But it is that time of year. We see it uh, here in the trees on the stage. We, you hear it in the songs that we sing. But uh, Christmas is here. And we're doing a uh, two-week series over this week and next called We Have Come. And next week, Zane is going to come and share with us on the idea of we have come to worship. And this morning, we're talking about the idea that we have come for hope. And we're going to be looking at most of Matthew chapter 1. So if you'd like to take your Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter 1, that's where we're going to be spending the next few moments here this morning. So the series is We Have Come. And let me begin this by asking you a question. Why is it that you have come here today? Why is it that you have come to this place? And it could be a simple explanation. If you're a college student, maybe you're working a few shifts and you're picking up a few extra shifts, trying to get in some hours before you go home for the Christmas season, and so you're still here with us. And maybe for you, this is just a little bit of a tradition. The Christmas season is here, and so what do you do? Well, you attend church. It's kind of a tradition, something that you do. The last, uh, last Sunday, our life group had the opportunity to go to a Christmas musical and went to this Christmas musical. They're singing all these wonderful songs about the birth of Jesus Christ. And before the musical began, I was sitting down next to a woman, an older woman. Her name was Judy. And we were uh, striking up a conversation, having some small talk. And I asked her the question. I said, Judy, how many of these musicals have you attended? She just looked at me and she said, I have been to a lot of these musicals. And she also continued to say that in her life, the tradition was the Christmas season never began until this musical was over. And that was, that was her tradition. And for you, this might be somewhat of a tradition. That's not always bad. Sometimes that's a really, really good thing. But to be honest, for some of you, this might be just one of the things that you do, one of the things that you check off your list that you're going to do during this holiday season. We're going to attend church. That's what we're going to do. It's going to get the family together. It's going to make us feel close. We're going to have this loving connection with one another. We're going to go to church, and, and we're going to be together. We're going to feel in the season. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? In the season. How do you know what it feels like to be in the season? And I have to admit to you, I really don't want to do this, but I have to admit to you that in the last month or so, I have gone to a place that really knows, I have gone shopping at a place that really specializes in making you feel like you are in the season. I really don't want to tell you, but I will. And the store is Bath and Body Works. This place knows. They have a gift. They know what it means to be in the season. And so in the day and age of the internet and going out and buying everything on the internet, it's really hard to get people out of home. They've figured out what it takes to get people in that store. If you drive by there on the way home from church today, it will probably be Packed, And so they send out everything. They send out these emails, promotional codes, buy three, get five free. They do whatever it takes to get you in that store. So Kim received the email. And she asked me the question. And so it's my fault. I said, yes, I'll go with you to Bath and Body Works. And so we go down to Bath and Body Works, open up the front door. There's green and red glitter everywhere. Mariah Carey Christmas on the speakers, coming through the speaker. And you are walking through the store. 
and they've got snow, fake snow and Christmas trees. And I'm kind of confused by this moment. Keep walking through the store, trying to find my way through, and I end up in the back, the men's section. Don't know if you know this or not, but Paul Weiss was also there. No, I'm just joking. Paul was not there. (laughs) Paul was not in the men's section at Bath and Body Works, but... I was there. They have sinks in this place and you can wash your hands and they have all of the same scent in all of these different like versions. Lotion, soap, cologne, all, they all match. No wonder you do the buy three, get three free. That's how you get all of those different things. But we walk out of that place half an hour later and I don't know what it feels like to be in the season, but I think it feels something like that, right? What does it mean to feel like you're in the season. We come to the season thinking we need that. We need more family time. We we need more nostalgia, more memories of the past. We need more food. We need more stuff. We need all of this. Yet then we realize when we come into the season, we actually struggle. We struggle when our family doesn't meet expectations. We struggle when our memories of the past aren't always good memories. We struggle when all of the food, all of the stuff, all of the things that we go out and get, they actually leave us feeling more empty than anything else. And I would say that we have come to this season in general, and we have come to this place specifically because we need something more than cheer. We need something more than just feeling in the season. We need a real and true and sustainable hope. And for many of us, that might mean that we need a bit of a disruption in our life. There's a quote that's going to be up on the screen by a man named Philip Yancey. Uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book years ago called The Jesus That I Never Knew. And in that book, he makes a comparison between the often cheery and fun Christmas cards that we send one another and we receive, talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. And he compares those cards that we send and that we receive from other people to the actual stories in the Bible, the gospel narratives of the birth of Jesus Christ. And when comparing those two things, he says in the gospel narratives, he sees mainly disruption at work. And so for many of us, we need a bit of a disruption. And I hope that over the next few minutes, as we look at the word of God, as we experience him, over the next few weeks, as we go through this Christmas season, on into the new year, that we would would experience a disruption. Jesus Christ invading this earth, Jesus Christ, his birth, invading my life, disrupting things. And that it wouldn't just be for disruption's sake, but it would be a disruption that would ultimately lead to hope. And at the risk of sounding painfully obvious, as believers, we have to know that the hope can only be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And we need that hope at Christmas time, and we need that hope all of the time. And when we experience that hope, when we realize that this hope is in the gospel and only in the gospel, all of a sudden these situations begin to get put in the right places. All of a sudden our family, which doesn't always meet our expectation, when it's good and when it's bad, it gets put in its right place. All of a sudden, when our memories of the past aren't always the best memories, the good memories and the bad memories they get put in their proper place. 
And it helps us rightly give gifts. It helps us rightly receive gifts out of the overflow of what God is doing in us through the gospel for the glory of God. All of that begins to make sense as they are put in their right place. And so just for the next few minutes, I would like to share with you three main thoughts as to why we have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first thing is this, we have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ because in it we see God has been faithful to his plan. Year after year after year, generation after generation after generation, God is faithful. How do we know this? Look at Matthew 1. We know this in the first 17 verses very simply because we have this long, long list of names. It's, it's, it's entitled the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the family line, where Jesus came from, his, his earthly family. If you look at verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the original word used here, and this word genealogy is also used in the book of Genesis, literally origins or beginnings. You see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, the origins, the beginnings of the heavens and earth. Genesis 5, 1, the origins of Adam and his descendants. And so what Matthew is doing here is he is lining up Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all things, bringing together Genesis, the creation, what started with the original creation, going wrong with sin and the fall is now being redeemed, now being made right by Christ and his birth, the one true redeemer of the world. And what goes wrong with sin, God makes right in Christ's coming. And that takes place in his timing, under his control. No one is forcing him. But we see year after year after year, generation after generation after generation, this promise, the coming of the Messiah, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God is indeed faithful to his plan. And so Matthew gives us this list, this long list of names leading to Jesus. And he doesn't let us think that Jesus is simply this historical figure, someone that existed at one point in time that we come together as Americans one time a year to acknowledge that he might have existed. That's not Jesus. It's not the Jesus that Matthew is talking about. If you look through chapter one, uh, verse one, that this is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would save Verse 16, this is Jesus who was called the Christ. Verse 17, he is the Christ. Verse 18 is the birth of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 4, he's the Christ. And God has had a plan. And he has been faithful to this plan specifically for a long, long time. If you look in your Bible at verse 17, Matthew divides this genealogy into three separate time periods. He says, first of all, there's 14 generations going back to Abraham, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to Babylon. And there was a time where God's people had rebelled against God and God said, look, if that's the way that you're gonna continue to live, you're gonna be sent away. And so God's people get taken to Babylon and God says, I'm going to bring you back I'm going to fulfill this promise. In 70 years, you're going to go back to your land. That's exactly what happened. God was faithful to his promise. 
And it didn't stop there. Matthew says that it was another 14 generations from Babylon to Jesus the Christ. That's a lot of generations. If you can do your math, that's 42 generations, 72 or 70 years in a foreign land. That is a long time. But what's the significance? What's the significance of such a long list? Well, part of it is, is when we begin to understand the history, when we begin to understand the backstory, we really see the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ and specifically his identity. In verse 1, Matthew identifies this Jesus as, first of all, the son of David. Well, what would that tell us? What's the family backstory there? Immediately, their minds would go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And God's promise to David. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. And God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body in I. I will establish his kingdom. And we see it fulfilled in the coming and the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus, the son of David. At the next part of verse one, he says, Jesus is also the son of Abraham. Well, what's the family backstory there? Well, immediately their minds would go back to Genesis chapter 12 and God's promise to Abraham, which he fulfilled. Genesis 12, verse three, I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so Matthew says that it's the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of David, which fulfilled all of their nation's hopes. But more than that, he's now the son of Abraham by which he would bless the entire world. That's the family backstory. You know, and it seems like this time of year, more than any other time of year, we really become obsessed with the family backstory. We like to tell stories of the past. We like to tell stories of the good times, the bad times. We like that. And maybe you, uh, like I did in the last few weeks, had, had an experience kind of like this. I was up in our attic getting out some Christmas lights and going through some things, and you, you know that it's always a mistake to start going through the boxes that you have, right? Had a little bit of a Chevy Chase moment up there. I really didn't have the 35 millimeter like, like video going, and I didn't start crying and that kind of thing, but saw some pictures, started to remember the past, relive the past, and going back in family, and I came upon something that I'd been looking for for quite a while. Um, it was a book, actually. And the book would be an origin or a genealogy uh, of my family's backstory. And uh, this is a book that my grandmother actually wrote for me. And my two sisters, it's called To My Children's Children. And uh, in this book, she goes back and she tells the history of our family. I just thought that we were just some farmers from Iowa at some point in time. And she goes way back and tells of the beginning. It starts off with a man named Zachariah Smith that lived in Yorkshire, England. So she gives us our, our family history, our origin. But more than that, she wrote out nearly uh, 60 pages talking about the story of her life growing up, traced it back all through her history throughout this depression era. And she says some, some pretty funny things throughout this book. I'll read a few of them to you. She said, I typed this on your dad's 1963 Smith Corona typewriter. All errors were caused by the operator, not the typewriter. 
Talks about her dad. My dad did farm work and he repaired machinery. She describes her parents' relationship. She said, my parents' relationship was warm. My dad was very stern, but mother was more congenial and understanding. I really like this one. She said, my dad shaved with a straight-edge razor and he sharpened it on a leather strap. Don't think you would have seen him at Bath and Body Works anytime. <laughs> it wasn't him. She describes some of you teenagers might like this one. Uh, talking about her time growing up. She said, I didn't go to any camps. As I remember, there were no camps at that time. She was able to go to one year of college at Drake University. I thought this was pretty interesting. She said, while I was going to Drake, Ronald Reagan was working for a radio station in Des Moines. He would broadcast the football games. I can remember him running up and down the sidelines. Our president, running up and down the sidelines. And then she reflects back on her growing up at the farm and talking about the different food that they ate and how they prepared it. Um, she said, since we lived on the farm, we always had hogs, cattle, and chickens to butcher. The hogs were killed and put in a black iron kettle of boiling water, after which the hair and skin was removed. We would open up our kitchen table and lay it, the carcass there on the table and cut it up. I can remember that. I will never forget the bloody mess. But wow, is this even real life? This actually, this... That sounds very, wow, that, shocking. That was life in the Depression. And it's fascinating to know all these stories, fascinating to know some of these different details of my own family history, where we came from. I love that backstory, that genealogy of generations and generations of people that came before me. I need to tell you that uh, I, I really love, I really respect I really love my grandmother, my grandfather, all the members of my family. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful that I could spend time with them, especially on holidays. I love that. But the thing that you need to know about this story, and the same would be true of your story if, if you wrote a book like this, is that it's an imperfect story. It's an imperfect story. And because it's an imperfect story, it would be crazy to put all of my faith, all of my hope, all of my trust, my worship in my family. It just wouldn't be right. I don't know, as I look down through those names in Matthew chapter 1, we're just going to mention a few of them. I don't know if I would put all of my faith, my hope, my trust, my worship in the members of Jesus' family in and of themselves. Verse 3, the mention of Tamar. Verse 5, Rahab. Bathsheba, verse 6. And it's not just the women. We have Solomon. We have David. We have Abijah. And all it says about Abijah is that he committed all of the sins of his father. And the thing I think that we really, really need to realize this Christmas is that is not where we put our hope. We don't put our hope in in family. We don't put our hope just in the members of, of Jesus' family in and of themselves. We put our hope in a very faithful God who perfectly worked his plan to bring the Savior, Jesus Christ, into this world. And it's because of Jesus that we have been brought into, that we have been grafted into this great family of God. That's the hope that we need. We need the hope of John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. It says, he who came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, 
to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's real hope. That is a hope that will sustain us. That is a hope that is real. That is a hope that will far outweigh family or this feeling of just being in the season. And we have hope that because of God's faithfulness, we can be his. That's hope. That's good news. And that's the hope that we need. I'd like you to look at verse 18. We also have hope because in Christ's coming, God deals with our most serious problem, which is now and has always been sin. Through Jesus, God deals with sin. Starting off in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And we see God's hand all over this moment. We see God appearing to Joseph in a dream. We see angels that are present. We see the spirit that is there in verse 18. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see the spirit many times associated with the coming of the Messiah. And all of these things converge into this one divine moment. And it was through this miraculous work, through the work of the spirit, that we have a son. And his name is Jesus. Literally, it means the Lord save. And it is by him, literally, in the name of Jesus, that God deals with our most serious problem, which is now and has always been sin. And on one extreme, we can focus on that during the Christmas season. I've been that guy before. We're going to sit the kids down this year. We're just going to kind of get serious about this. We're going to kind of strip back the gifts a little bit. We're not going to make a big deal about all of these things. Whenever we read through our Advent reading, it's just going to be through the angry minor prophets, no one else. We're going to take down all of the candy that's on the Advent calendar, just Bible verses this year. No candy on the Advent calendar in our house. This is the way we're going to handle it. We're going to get serious. We're going to talk about the reality of sin. This is who we are. It's gonna get, we're going to get serious about this. Yet I think the temptation that we can have is to not be that way. The temptation that we would have is that we would just kind of gloss over it, not want to deal with it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to mention it at Christmas this year. We're not, we're not going to acknowledge this. Let's just, let's just get together and let's be happy. You know what? When you read the Bible... The Bible doesn't let us live this way. If you look at Jesus, and it, it's, it's more than his name. It's more than just the Lord saves. We're not allowed to go back and just gloss over sin, to mask over it, to buy more things, to numb the pain, 
that sin has caused. Preaching against sin, the reality of sin, this is Jesus. This was his life. This was his message. This was all of his teaching. If you go throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you see in Matthew 3, 2, Jesus' message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 6, they're baptized by Jesus as they confess their sins. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus heals a paralyzed man, showing that he has authority on earth to forgive sin. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus gives his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 26, 28, the Last Supper, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And for Matthew, Jesus is much more than a baby that was born in a manger. Jesus was, in fact, the Savior. In a Jewish culture, they thought that they needed so many other things. We need a political deliverer. We need someone that's going to help us deal with Rome. And our culture would tell us we need so many other things at Christmas time. Moving into 2019, I'm going to get some new goals. I'm going to get a new life plan. I'm going to get a new family, new marriage, new degree, some new stuff. It doesn't work. Can I tell you something that you've probably heard a million times? I know I've heard it. And I need to hear it one more time. And that is, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. This is what we need. A man named Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, recently uh, released a book called The Hidden Christmas. And uh, one of his quotes will be up here on the screen. I'd like to read that with you. He says, Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself can save us. That's it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is true. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him and in him alone we could become the righteousness of God. That is real hope. And finally, we have real hope because he has come. Skipping down to verse 22, Matthew states this. He says, all of this, and by all of this, he means all of the angels, all of the spirit coming, the dreams, the birth of this child who is a savior, took place to fulfill. And then he quotes what Isaiah said many centuries earlier is now applying to the birth of Jesus Christ. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A couple chapters over in Isaiah chapter 9, he's further described that the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is Jesus. This is our God, and he has come. And because he has come, we have hope. And it's this hope that it talks about in Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus coming to this earth, living an earthly life. He says, because of that, because Jesus Christ has come, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he came and he lived a life here, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. You see, we do not have a God that, that created the world, set things in motion, turned his back and said, you guys just figure it out. 
That's not the God we worship. We do not worship a God who is fully transcendent that that we cannot know. That's not our God. Verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Because of this, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You see, because Jesus came here, because he was born here, he lived life here, he lived a perfect life here because he died on the cross, was buried, ascended to heaven, was resurrected from the dead. Because of that, we have hope. Because he is now reigning with the Father in heaven, we have hope. And if you want to receive mercy, if you want to Find grace, you have to know that it comes through him and only him. Again, uh, Tim Keller writes, talking about Christianity in the birth of Jesus Christ. He says, Christianity says that God has been all the places that you have been. He's been in the darkness that you are in now and more. And therefore, you can trust him. You can rely on him because he knows and has the power to comfort, strengthen, and get you through. Maybe that's what you need to hear. That's true news. And more than that, that's good news. Good news of great joy for all the people. And that is something that only God can do for us this Christmas. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're faithful to your plan. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your working. We thank you um, that Jesus Christ came into this world and invaded and disrupted things. And for many of us, this year and every year, that is what we need. A reminder once again that your kingdom has come. A reminder once again that you are good. And a reminder once again of your salvation. And God, because of that, you give us hope. You give us hope in Jesus Christ. And for that, We thank you in your name. Amen. Um, Before we go this morning, I just need to make one announcement. Uh, After this service, actually after first service and after this service, um, we are having a fundraiser luncheon for Kyle and Amanda Butler. They're both on staff here and they are pursuing adoption over the next uh, several months. And so we thought that it would be a... uh, a a great thing for us to support them. I know that we've done this in the past, and so we would really encourage you to go there for that lunch and to be a part of that. If you want to go, you just go out of the lobby, turn right, go to the second hallway and take a left, and then you need to go into the hub room where that is from the west entrance. I know that uh, Kids Church has a lot of different things with Elevate going on in the gym, and so we're trying to direct people to the west entrance for the hub, and we hope to see you there. So go and have a blessed week.